October 1989, 43 women around the world gave birth. None of these women had been pregnant when the day first began. I have adopted six children. Gifted with abilities far beyond the ordinary. Right, welcome everyone. This is episode 62 of the Comics in Motion podcast. I'm Chris Phelps, as always, and my good friend and co-host is Mr. Dave Horrocks. Hi, Chris, and hello to our listeners out there. Welcome to the Comics in Motion podcast. What we like to do here is we like to review movies and TV shows that are based on comic books. Myself, I'll be reviewing from the perspective of a long-time comic book reader. And I'll be reviewing from the TV and movie perspective. And what we also like to do is we also like to spoil the hell out of everything we review. So if you haven't watched our choice of the week, then we'd advise you to proceed with caution. And remember, with an average podcast comes no responsibility. Now, Chris, bit of DC news to start us off this week. Obviously, we got to talk to Paul last week from DC World. Yep. And I'm sure they're all over this, but it's been a fairly busy time of it in the last week or so. But what I thought was most interesting was uh, some of the talk, some of the quotes coming out from Warner Brothers chief exec, Kevin Sujihara. And he's basically confirmed that the studios will be focusing more on the character, like individual character properties, as opposed to having this big connected universe and there are a couple of really interesting quotes coming directly for him so let, let me read a couple to you out I'll, I'll start with one and then we'll go on to the second so it says the upcoming slate with shazam joker wonder woman 1984 and birds of prey feels like we're on the right track we have the right people in the right jobs working at on it the dc universe isn't as connected as we thought it was going to be five years ago you're seeing much more focus on individual experiences around individual characters. That's not to say we won't come back at some point to the notion of a more connected universe, but it feels like the right strategy for us right now. So what do you make to that quote, Chris? I'm very, very happy, Dave. You know that and when we reviewed a couple of the other things recently, but one of my problems with DC is they're trying to run before they can walk because of Marvel. I just thought, you know, we talked about Ben Affleck leaving the role of Batman. And as much as, you know, I absolutely love Christian Bale, I think on a reflection of what my comments were at the time, he never got a fair crack to have his own film. And then really I should make my own mind up. They literally, you know, I still said to you with Aquaman, they should never have done a team up with Aquaman before he'd done his own origin film first. Yeah. Maybe do the Justice League four or five years down the line and grow that world, especially with the Christian Bale, you know, exiting Batman in 2012. It made no sense what they did. And they, they, they just basically went down a rabbit hole that now they're just, you know, they're trying to bring you back. And I'm all for this, Dave. I really am. And, and in some respects, as much as, you know, we're absolutely loving what's going to happen with Avengers. We mentioned it every show. I'm really interested with DC that they should just do their own thing. And I think this is the, I think at the moment, I don't know what Sazam's going to be reviewed like, but I think this is the right decision for from a DC fan more than Marvel, really, I suppose, with it being Batman and Superman, my favorite superheroes. I'm more invested in that. And I really hope they hit it out of the park with Sazam and then the Joker and, you know, whatever comes from there, the Suicide. I mean, the Suicide Squad's going to be a team up one, but. I do agree, and I said it last week, and I said it with the Aquaman thing, why Superman didn't just turn up 
and saved the day when they were decimating the, the you know the, the sea was coming in the boats. It made no sense that Superman would let someone else deal with that. So for me, don't mention them. Have a little subtle things in like they had little things in Man of Steel and that, but don't actually go full on team ups. I'm happy for that for a few years. To be fair. Yeah, someone dropped us a, a line, didn't they, on, on one of our social media channels. I, I can't quite remember which one it was last week, saying they agreed with, you know, why doesn't Superman just fly in and, and save everything? Because that's effectively what they did in Justice League. So I'm in agreement with you. I think it's it's a step in the right direction. It's essentially for the last few months, I guess, we've been talking on off about this, haven't we? You know, certainly since Aquaman and so they've pretty much acknowledged what we thought they should do so I think that's that's a positive thing but let me read you out this second quote he says what Patty Jenkins did on Wonder Woman illustrated to us what you could do with these characters who are not Batman and Superman obviously we want to get these two in the right place and we want strong movies around Batman and Superman but Aquaman is a perfect example of what we can do they're unique and the tone's different in each movie. Now, I'll, I'll go first with this one because I there's something that doesn't sit right to me with what, what he said there. And that it comes across to me that he, he doesn't really know what he's got with the DC properties. DC yeah. is a massive, you know, it, it's a, all right, you could say convoluted, but merely because it's been around a lot longer than Marvel. But there are an absolute wealth of characters in that DC world. And so to say that Wonder Woman was a bit of a surprise is what he's saying there because of what Patty Jenkins did is underplaying the potential of what I think they've got. And so I thought the first comment was was great and it's it's just acknowledging, you know, it just sounded ridiculous, wouldn't it, if he if he'd have come out and said, Oh well, I thought Justice League was great. <laughs> um but I just I don't know, I, I I'm hopeful for the future, but I it, what he said there, or Kevin doesn't fill me with any confidence that they know what they've got or how to handle these properties in the best way, to be honest. Yeah, I suppose I'm going to contradict what I've just said. I, I suppose, in some respects, he's also belittling the other characters around Superman and Batman, really. And he's basically saying these are the spearhead, the figureheads of DC, which, yeah, in my eyes, as someone who's just a movie fan, they always have been, haven't they? They're DC, as far as I'm concerned. But having no origin with the comics and that, I don't think there was, I don't honestly believe they understood the success that they got with Wonder Woman and Aquaman. And that's to really, if that's what you're going off what his comments are, how I actually personally feel, they're like supporting characters to Superman and Batman. And, and it, yeah, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, David. And also, did he even read the comics? You know, you, you know about the characters. You've, you've nailed it when we've reviewed stuff about how true to what's on the page, to what you've seen on the screen. And, and you know, there's been some mishaps, and we know we've had a laugh at some of the expense of some of the terrible rubbish that we reviewed. But I think, hand on heart, sometimes it's just the purely movie makers, aren't they? And they're relying on someone yeah. else doing the research. That's what it seems like. It seems like a very corporate comment as far as I don't know what this guy is or his origin. I could be completely wrong, but... I, I agree. At the first comment, great. This second one's it adds I agree with you. It's, it's taking me back a little bit, thinking that's not the sort of positivity you want, basically. It's sort of an inferiority complex to Marvel, as far as I can see. Yeah, I mean you know, Marvel made stars out of the Guardians of the 
bloody galaxy. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. There is so much potential in that DC universe. Um, they're just, I, I, I guess I was a little bit taken aback that, you know, it's an acknowledgement that, oh, yeah, we, we only thought DC was Batman and Superman. Now, in the comics, it's very much, you know, Wonder Woman is included in that. They they refer to it as the Trinity, but you know you've got the likes of Green Lantern as well. Okay, you know that Ryan Reynolds movie. We haven't reviewed it, have we? But but uh, you know it wasn't great. I don't think it was as bad as people made out. But you know there are still some big old characters there. You know the Flash. What's happened to his movie? So I I just I am hopeful that we can start getting a better quality of movie coming out of Warner Brothers. But I'm not expectant i'm hopeful yeah yeah i agree i agree which is a shame really dave but we'll just this isn't going to be a quick fix either is it we're going to be three or four years down the line before we start seeing this quality hopefully well again so let's hope i tell you i mean that's a handy little segue probably unintentional but you know the new shazam trailer came out didn't it and this looks a lot of fun doesn't it yeah, it does. I mean, I've I've seen the first trailer now. I'm not joking. It must be a dozen times because well, people, if you listen to the podcast, I've got the Limitless Odin pass so we can go as many times as we want. And Dave, if I've seen that what that trailer once, I've, you know, I say I've seen it a dozen times. It's just the same thing. It looks fun. It looks quite quirky. It looks like a bit of a, <clears throat> not a Deadpool type, you know, tongue in cheek thing where he's, he's really sending himself up. But, but, there's something there, basically. And this new trailer, I must admit, I watched it yesterday, and I'm all in on this, Dave. I've got to be honest with you. I think it's it's setting the tone of stuff that I like, where the jokes, I like the stuff in Marvel, where I think DC misses a beat. There's not enough humour in their films. And even in Man of Steel, which I rate, I know you don't rate it, but and, and like the Christian Bale stuff, there's like the odd one-liner, isn't the little smart comment from... Batman in that, you know, Bruce Wayne, and that's about it. There's always a little bit of interaction with Alfred and stuff, and it's one of them. It doesn't hit it off, so but this does, and it looks really good, and I think his friend's going to be uh, pivotal in, in the whole story about what he is, and I'm interested with Mark Strong being the baddie as well, because all I've seen so far is, is Shazam getting an absolute kicking off Mark Strong's character, so that's going to be interesting. But, yeah, I think it's out April the 19th it's been announced yesterday, Dave. So that's pretty good. He's not that far off, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. But no, I mean, I, I agree. I, I can't wait for this one to come out. It does look a lot of fun. It's kind of hard not to think of Big, you know, the old Tom Hanks movie. But, you know, I, it'll be interesting. That's just from the trailers. But no, I, I like the fact that, like I say, it's going to be a lot of fun. This is the original Captain Marvel uh, before they had to change his name to Shazam. So it's kind of interesting that you've had that all going on in in you know, history, the two movies are all are both coming out within a month of each other. So um, so let's see. Again, I, I really hope that this one hits it out of the park for sure. On the slightly negative side, so it looks like Will Smith, we've seen the last of him playing Deadshot for the Suicide Squad. Yeah, I'm gutted about that. I thought him and Harley Quinn were the, the best parts about the Suicide Squad, as I said in our review, Dave. So uh, <laughs> it's a shame. It's a shame that he is. But... You said conflicting interest, uh, conflicting interest, sorry, conflicting diaries, basically. But I thought it could have been something Will Smith could have expanded on. There was definitely an origin film in him, Dave. Definitely. He was so good. So 
I mean, it, conflicting diaries. What has he got that's more high profile? I mean, he was, you know, post kind of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, there was a period, wasn't there, when Will Smith was the biggest star in Hollywood. Apart from Suicide Squad, what was he actually done in the last few years? I know, and that's true. And so I was actually listening to a podcast yesterday, and they were saying that Will Smith had had a lot of failures in these recent films, including Suicide Squad. I know it wasn't solely down to him. But then someone said he's absolutely elevated himself because he went on Instagram and took that by storm, didn't he, in YouTube, and he's doing these vlogs every day about his family and all this sort of truthful roundtable stuff he does with his family. And it's, it's really took him back out into the open as he hit 50. He's done like bungee jumps, Annie, and all this because he was he, he's just touched 50 in the last few months. But he's, Dave, he's filming a Bad Boys 3. Now, I like the Bad Boys films, you know, but we're going like 15 years since he did the second one. We're probably more than yeah. that. It's going to be a hell of a stretch for Mike Lowry to be coming out being the womanizer that he was in the first two films. So I'll see about that. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what he's got coming up. It'll be interesting if they, for the Suicide Squad movie, whether they recast. You know, so they bring someone else in as that Deadshot character. I think after the performance he gave in Suicide Squad, that'll be difficult to do. But if it's one thing about Warner Brothers, we know they're not afraid to just recast the whole actor. So, you know, let's let's see there. But they could just replace him with another another DC character. Which he may you know? do. So someone like Deathstroke would be uh, would be an obvious one, similar kind of marksman. But who knows? They might have other plans for him. He's a fairly high-profile villain. But also, um, so moving on, I guess sticking with Suicide Squad, kind of, uh, the new Joker trailer was out as well. Yeah, yeah. But it, I've got to say, Dave, I, I, and it's quite a good section, this, for DC, because we have been pretty much Marvel-orientated recently, haven't we, with a lot of the news, because there hasn't been a lot of DC stuff. And yep. I've got to say, I'm, I'm really interested in this. I think it's got the tone of the Dark Knight in a lot of ways. The only thing that keeps sticking in my head is that Joaquin Phoenix is nearly 50 years old, if he's not 50. And I don't know what timeline, where this is in anything we've seen, if it's just a case of pressing the reset button and we're going again because it shows him putting his his face paint on and all this and like sort of running around Gotham or, you know, Chicago, in it, Gotham, really. I, I'm feeling it, but I just don't know what's going to happen and how how you're going to take him as a, as a as a hero in the film, if that makes any sense, because he's not a hero, is he? He's a baddie and a, a maniacal baddie and everything that we've ever known with the Joker, really. Yeah, I guess, you know, and... and... Like I say, we, we've just celebrated really that, that Warner Brothers are going to em, embrace just telling individual stories for, you know, uh, focusing on characters for individual movies, I guess. But you still want a little bit of a feeling that it's all connected, don't you? So, so if Joaquin Phoenix is here in this thread and then you have, we've got a different Joker in Gotham, you know, are we still going to get Jared Leto in Suicide Squad? I that's that's too much for me. So I don't know where it's going to fit either. I think I would still go and watch this because because he looks like more like the Heath Joker ledger. The Heath Joker ledger. <laughs> Him as well, Dave. Yeah, that one. Yeah. <laughs> There's another one for the comics in motion universe. Uh, the Heath Joker ledger. <laughs> 
<laughs> he led your Joker. He just looks like him, and the and the trailers I think look good. But where is it going to lead to? I'm I'm not really sure. So so let's see. The second reason I'm obviously going to watch it is because we're doing this show. So, <laughs> but if it if we weren't doing this, would I rush out to see it? You know what? Probably not. I'll just see if there's any actual real point to the film. So I'm intrigued more than anything, which I suppose is the whole point, really. All right, so over a bit of Marvel news now, Dave. So we've got Marvel's The Eternals, which is looking at casting its first openly gay character, which I think is really good. It's celebra- you know, the MCU celebrating 10 years. They're trying to diversify the characters, which I totally agree with. I'm sure you're the same. I don't know anything about the Eternals. Is this one of the comics you've read, Dave? I, I genuinely don't know what who the characters are or anything. Yeah, I mean, I I haven't read a massive amount. I think they came out in '76. Um, I, but I would say I'm, I'm certainly, you know, hand on heart, I haven't been a massive fan of the cosmic universe for Marvel. I hadn't read much Guardians of the Galaxy before. You know, it was it was announced that that film was coming out, and I thought. All right, let's let's start having a look at these. It is going to be more in that kind of universe now, because the movie's coming out. Will we see a bit of them in Infinite in Avengers Endgame? Maybe, but yeah, it's 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 all part of that cosmic universe. In terms of you know casting an openly gay actor, I, I assume because I haven't seen this news myself, I assume the character is gay, not the actor. <laughs> oh yeah. Yes, <laughs> yeah, character. Yeah. yeah, you can play anyone. It just yeah, has yeah. to be gay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so again, you know, we're 2019. I think it's on the one hand, I think it's great, and on the other hand, I kind of think, how has this not happened before? But I guess you know, the Marvel Marvel Studios has not been around for that long, so ten years. So again, in the comics, they they have had things like this they had an event where uh you had one of the alpha flight members north star getting married so that was a, a gay marriage and and there was a lot that actually made you know a lot of the national news and stuff in in the various countries and so again you think why why is this such a big problem but yeah it, it's one of those so it's happening for the first time and i'm sure it, it just breaks the mold a bit and then we'll see more of that in the future uh, and also dave we had the dark phoenix trailer which is the final x-men fox and i've got to say dave i've really the x-men really... fox is that, is that a new character the X-Men, no the x-men is fox isn't it the fox <laughs> yeah, fox yeah. <laughs> 20th century fox oh, there, right. not throw, the x-men fox throw another one in there as another character <laughs> x-men fox yeah <laughs> he kills him with his tail anyway Boom, that's terrible. But anyway. Boom, boom. Boom, boom, yeah. <laughs> good old Basil there. But yeah, I, I, again, this looks really good. I love Michael Fausbender. I love James McAvoy as Professor X. And I'm really intrigued how the Dark Phoenix goes because really in this sort of, it's the retro X-Men really because we're going back to like the 60s, aren't we? You know, Hank's there and stuff, the Beast. How they're going to do this and create it and, and how the world's going to go. But I'm really, really... I, I like it. I like the X-Men, so I'm really intrigued how they do that and if there is going to be any little nods towards Wolverine as well. Well, I think it's I think it's in the 90s, so it is that newer wave of X-Men, if you like. You know, it's the James McAvoy X-Men as opposed to the Patrick Stewart X-Men. And I was 
quite so this dark phoenix story is probably the story in the comics you know it's written by chris claremont really really great story spread lots of issues and built up over a series of time now they've attempted this once before in x-men 3 and it wasn't great was it really no, no. <laughs> and the interesting thing i found from this trailer is it looks really quite similar to x-men 3 even the long kind of red coat that Gene wore in X-Men 3, you can see, you know, Sophie Turner wearing it as well. And it's like, mm, that's an interesting choice. <laughs> so I don't, they must have done that on purpose because that's that's not out of the comics. So they, they've obviously got that from X-Men 3. So I don't know if they're just trying to, you know, say, right, what we did before wasn't great. In Days of Future Past, they rewrote the timeline so that it wrote out, you know, what they'd done in X-Men 3. So it's like, okay, we're going to have a have another go at it. But the most shocking thing to me was the spoiler in it. And I don't know if you've picked up on the spoiler. Yeah, yeah I have. The mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Why would you do that? And, I'm, I, you know, we say we spoil everything. For, for stuff we review, I, I'm not going to spoil something for a film that's not out already. But if you just watch the trailer, listeners... Or, or rather, if you catch the trailer, and if you don't want to be spoiled, don't watch the trailer, because there is a massive spoiler in it. And so I, I've not really seen that. I think in the last few years, we've seen people, uh, you know, the movie makers get cleverer with the with the trailers. Look at Endgame, right? It, it gets you excited about watching it, but you've no idea what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, whereas this gives you pretty much what's going to happen. Yeah, which is just bizarre. So, so yeah, bizarre. I mean, I I've, I don't know. I was just utterly flummoxed by that. But it may not be the last thing that Fox do with the X Men because we've got the New Mutants coming out, or supposed to be coming out later this year, haven't we? But again, they've had reshoots scheduled. They don't know. They haven't shot them. So it it just seems to be sat there, kind of half made, and there were rumours coming out this last week that it might just they might just do the reshoots later, but under Disney, and then just stick it straight on the Disney streaming service. Yeah, yeah. and I'll be a little bit disappointed. I'll be more than a bit disappointed to be honest. I do like the New Mutants. I think they were it was a great book that came out in 1982. I mentioned it last week, I think when we did Titans, because there was a lot of similarities between the teen Titans and the, the new mutants. And so let's see, but yeah, dark Phoenix may be the last one, but in theory, currently they have scheduled the new mutants for later this year as well, but a lot of speculation that won't happen. Now, final bit of trailer news this week. So, a little bit shocking. I usually put the trailers on for my kids as well, but uh, this Hellboy trailer was was an R-rated one, so I'm glad I checked this out first. So, I mean, did you manage to catch that one? Yeah, I did. Oh, I think I, you, you tweeted me, actually, Yeah, didn't I you? tweeted you. I, I, I'll tell you why I tweeted you, Dave, because we, we both said the London setting of that first trailer, we mentioned it on here, and it, you'd said in one of the previous podcasts that it got pushed back, and that wasn't always a great sign because reshoots and, and for whatever reason. And I was like, oh, this looks terrible. It looks like yeah. a guy in a YouTube homemade video trying to be Hellboy. But I've got to say, this new trailer has got me on board. I, I think it, it looks like it's going to be pretty good. It's got 
a real charm and sort of fun. There's some real funny one-liners in there. The the, the action looks good. It looks like the, the origin of Hellboy is in there. So for me, it did everything that the first trailer didn't, and it got me invested in it. So I actually go watch it, and I know it's only out in a few weeks. So I'll definitely we you know we're going to obviously review it, but. I'm interested, Dave. I really am. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I I agree. It looked a lot better. I mean, for that first trailer, it looked like Hellboy starring in EastEnders, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got Mo from EastEnders. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Come on. You know, you could have got someone else. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I am. I, um, it looks really interesting. So if you haven't checked it out, guys, get, give it a, a search on YouTube. It's all over social media as well. And it is R-rated, so just, yeah. you know, warning if you've got the kids in the in the room. Okay, now, Chris, a couple of weeks ago now, I pushed out on our social media channels just a question, just to understand from some of our listeners, you know, what's your favorite comic book-based movie or TV show and why? You know, just to understand kind of where people are, because we get a little bit immersed you know within a week that we're doing our review we'll you know analyze to death we'll watch something you know particularly if it's a series it's a bit grueling isn't it but we'll watch it and then sort of ponder it analyze it a bit and then we'll go into our recording so you get kind of sucked into that world and so and we look at stuff i mean what was it 77 the Spider-Man one, that's the earliest one we've done. So we've done a bit of 70s, bit of 80s, bit of 90s, and a bit of 2000s, and right up until our new releases. So you've got four decades there. And so I was just wondering, would there be any kind of spread? Would people want nostalgia, or would they want, you know, the more recent stuff? So pushed out the question, you know, what's your favorite t- comic book t- movie or TV show and why? And the key bit is, and why? So, Chris, when you're at school, they tell you, read the whole question. So our first response came from a Mr. Christian Phelps, and it goes, (laughs) Smallville. (laughs) What's your favorite movie and TV show, and why? (laughs) Smallville. And and then... And then at this point, you should tell everybody that my full name is actually Christian Phelps. What a coincidence, Dave. Oh, man. Your, your namesake. I can't believe it. So... What a clown he is, Dave. Anyway, <laughs> but coincidentally, his favourite TV show is actually the same as mine. What are the chances? <laughs> well, I know somewhere when you were reading that, you were chuckling to yourself. Going, I was. Chris, you yourself up by your own comment. <laughs> Our own social media channel have been done up again um, but anyway <laughs> but luckily we did get some feedback as well so we had Miguel Garcia and I think he was umming an R in a little bit and then he says it's Guardians of the Galaxy so he says got to be Guardians of the Galaxy then it was one of those films when you finish watching it you want to watch it again straight away it was so well cast Batista as Drax was stupidly hilarious and Chris Pratt's Star-Lord pulling off a Han Solo-esque kind of character they're all so likable it made me sad in parts and laugh hysterically as well yeah got to be Guardians oh and the soundtrack was class as well so there we go a bit more of a thought out response (laughs) yeah and then we also got another response from Tony Paddy Burke a very good name he said Captain America Civil War and he's he's also put also the first Blade movie can't really argue with that the opening warehouse scene with the tune in the background one of the best obviously that's one of the episodes we reviewed so I can't argue with him there what about on Twitter Dave 
Over on Twitter, we've got We See Ben Day Dots. And they say Legion. So that's a TV series. Again, we've not, not reviewed that one, and I like their why, which is because I have absolutely no idea what's going on in it. Now, I've watched Series 1. I, I haven't got I haven't got to Series 2 yet. It's been out for a while now. But I can confirm it is one of the more confusing properties out there. So I like that response. Yeah, and then we've also got Jasper Reviews. And Matt's been on this show a few times, hasn't he, Dave? And his one was, uh, his comments were, I used to be a massive lover of Watchmen, but I've got off that film recently. Kick-Ass is a really underrated film and probably helped to start the R-rated superhero films. The best is probably either Logan or Spider-Man 2 for me. So, interesting, yeah, Dave. So, definitely on the R-rated theme, apart from Spider-Man 2. But uh, I agree, out, out of that Sam Raimi trilogy, Spider-Man 2 for me is is the best one. Uh, we then go to Stumpy Hobbit, <laughs> who says... <laughs> the best name ever. <laughs> so he says, Dread, because it's a great antidote to all the spandex and capes, which I quite like. It's quite interesting that day, just before we go to the next one. I come out of the cinema the other day when I was watching Fighting With My Family, with The Rock and stuff, um, and there's a guy talking in, in the men's U rhinos. Don't worry, we were, we were just... Um, Hang on, I don't know how to say that, right? Hang on. <laughs> well, I'm leaving all this in. Go yeah, on. <laughs> Go on. Keep digging. Keep Basically, digging. This bloke's uh, having a, a tinkle. win, a tinkle, and his son's there. He's telling him all about the characters are in this film, and you've got obviously heard that Game of Thrones is the Mormon on. And then he's going on, and he says something about, for some reason, he just got into like best comic book stuff, and he went, I'll tell you what, I love Dread. And he, to get this, his son went, Oh, what's the best of story? He went, No. The latest one, what a film. And then another bloke just happened to go in between these two, my line of sight, as he went for a, a piddle, line shall we sight. say. Yeah, well, Sounds was like a little party, yeah? This is, this is gone down a proper dodgy rabbit hole. <laughs> but then he just looked at me and went, Tread. And I just was like, I've got to get out of here. So I <laughs> quickly get out. Maybe they recognise your voice, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not said a word there, even though let's recognise someone else on me. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dear. That's dear. walking the line that, Dave, anyway. But, yeah, so just interesting. It's just a little comment that I heard this weekend. And then the final one on Twitter was by Sue 23 Not as an exciting name as Stump, old Stumpy above. I love the Punisher because Billy's psychological void is both hor- horrifying and yet compelling. And Frank's willingness to do everything it takes is both relatable and even inspiring in a messed up way. So thank you for that, Sue 23 very good. And another honourable shout-out. So we did have one more on Twitter, again, kind of missing the why a little bit. But this was from 20th Century Geek Bard. And they say, Preacher's my favourite comic series, and Captain America Winter Soldier is my fave movie. So, again, two high-quality properties there. Again, we've not touched on Preacher. We should probably tackle that. I think we're on Series 3 now. So we should go – we should start at Series 1 for that, I think, because yeah. – uh, um, I don't think you've seen it, have you, Chris? No, no, not at all. Yeah, so we should definitely tackle that one in the in the future. Now, Dave, what have you got for comic background, and what are we actually reviewing today, please, mate? Now, Gerard Way was the lead singer for My Chemical Romance, and they hit their heights around about midway through the last decade when they had their platinum album, or sorry, double platinum album, Black Parade. Now, this came out in 2006, the Umbrella Academy graphic novel or comic books, 
were written and created by Gerard Way, and the first issue was published in uh, by Dark Horse in 2007, so just a year after their biggest selling album. So I think that's a, a well-known tread path, isn't it? You know, for a rock star to hit the heights and then become a comic book writer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, or one of them, Dave. But yeah, <laughs> I actually can't think of another one. But you know, he's he's clearly got a passion for it. You know, so he didn't need to do this. Um, now, a lot of the the concept artwork as well was written by. Uh, sorry, a lot of the concept artwork was drawn by Gerard Way as well. So, although they had a chap called Gabriel Barr, he was the artist on those issues of, uh, of that first graphic novel, so Umbrella Academy Apocalypse Sweep. He, he was quite an artist as well, but he ended up kind of going into the writing side of things. Now, this won an Eisner Award for the best finite series or limited series back in 2008. Now, the Eisner Awards are a bit like the Oscars for comics, so it's it's a pretty big deal there. Now, Way said that he's, and he's been quoted to say that he's very influenced by Grant Morrison's run on DC's Doom Patrol. So again, another one of those little coincidences where you've got these series coming out quite close to each other. And in 2016, uh, Gerard got his chance to write Doom Patrol. So completing that kind of loop, I'm sure that was quite a, quite a thrill for him. Now, after that initial umbrella academy series there's been a couple of follow-ups there's supposed to be a fourth in development i highly recommend to pick up that first volume because it, it's just a it's quite a light read so it's not that dense you know it's, it's not it doesn't take you too long to get through now it was on sale on comiXology last week it's it's gone up again if you wanted to catch a digital copy you can either go to comiXology or amazon Comicsology are owned by Amazon, but sometimes you do see the prices that are different. Or, you know, if you like prefer the the hardback or the paperback copies, you can go and get them. But a really, really good read there. Now, Chris, have you got any series background for us? I have, Dave. Yes. Originally, the Umbrella Academy was going to be made into a film around about 2010. They started writing for it. Uh, Mark Bombat was the original writer, and then he got replaced by a guy called Rawson Marshall Thurber. Nope, it didn't really go anywhere. Around about 2012, they were toying with the idea of a movie adaption, but that never actually took place. And then in July 2015, it was announced that Umbrella Academy would be being developed into a TV series rather than a film. It should be produced by Universal Cable Productions. And then on July 2017, it was announced that it was actually going to be coming to Netflix and they greenlit the whole series and it was going to be coming out in 2019. So give it a two-year production cycle, which is pretty good. It was written by Jeremy Slater. He wrote the whole plot. And Steve Blackman is the showrunner and one of the main directors of the actual series. Now, the first episode was released on the 15th of Feb 2019 worldwide. So it was no sort of delay over in America or anywhere in the other territories, everywhere got at the same time. They started the sort of principal filming over a year ago, around about 15th of Jan in Toronto, with some additional photography in Hamilton as well. But by July 2018, the whole production had ended, which is not a bad seven-month run. Critically, it's at 74% approval rate on Rotten Tomatoes, which is really good, with a 7.24 user base based on 61 reviews. And... It is a favourable reviews on there, which is really good. On Metacritic at the moment, it's at 62%, a bit less forgiving out of 100. And that's off 18 critic reviews. Again, 
like I said last week with Titans, this will probably change because people will not necessarily have got the time to bin watch it. So there'll actually be more reviews and the score could waver either way, depending on what the response is. So, and that's it really, Dave. There's not a lot of to say, really. The only thing that did come up in the reviews was that it was very, a lot of the reviewers who had no understanding of the actual comic background said it was very, very similar to X-Men. Which, which I believe it is as well, but that's coming from probably from me as well, who doesn't know anything about the Umbrella Academy comics or their, the the origin. I knew nothing about it until I actually watched the first episode. So, but yeah, that's about it, mate. That's really interesting that because I think I mentioned it last week. You've got this strange triangle because Gerard Way has said, you know, his primary influence came from Doom Academy. Uh, Doom Patrol. He's. I've not seen any quotes from him saying that he was influenced by the X-Men. Now, Doom Patrol and Uncanny X-Men came out in the same year. I think Uncanny X-Men came out about three months after. So if you think about that, you wouldn't be able to, you know, when a, a comic hits the stands and, you know, someone's go and read it and then think, right, I'm going to create another comic. To turn around that in three months, I think would be quite, aggressive but this was a time when you know you had the marvel and dc offices and and a lot of the staff used to you know go out for drinks and stuff after work i believe and you know discuss what they were working on and stuff like that so it's not inconceivable just a a a sentence or a a brief synopsis of you know what you're working on it's not that inconceivable that someone like stan lee might have just taken that basic concept of Doom Patrol and then created the X-Men out of it. Yeah. But, of yeah. course, the the success of X-Men as far, far outstrips Doom Patrol at the minute. But there are a lot of similarities because I see, I see the same thing. I honestly haven't read that much Doom Patrol. So when I see this, there is, there's a lot that's familiar uh, in terms of the X-Men. You know, you've got that dysfunctional family. I'm sure I'll keep touching on it, but there's a lot of parallels with the Dark Phoenix with what we see with Vanya. And so I'm intrigued now to read more Doom Patrol. And and if I read more Doom Patrol, I'll probably, you know, understand a bit better. Am I actually seeing X-Men or am I seeing Doom Patrol? And I think it's X-Men, if that makes sense. But you do have that interesting triangle between Umbrella Academy, Doom Patrol and X-Men for sure. So, Dave, it's review time. Are you ready to go? Yep, let's go for it. On October the 1st, 1989, 43 women around the world gave birth simultaneously, despite none of them being pregnant at the start of the day. Now, seven of those children were adopted by Sir Reginald Hargreaves, from which he created a superhero team called the Umbrella Academy. Hargreaves only gives the children numbers, but their robot mother, Grace, does eventually give them names. In the present day, these estranged siblings are informed that Sir Reginald Hargreaves has died. Now, Chris, for this first episode, I have to admit to you, I came into the first episode with a a distracted attitude, quite honestly. So, you know, when you stick something on the TV, but you're playing about on your phone and stuff as well, and then you kind of look up and you realize, you know, I've got no idea what's going on here. So I made it, uh, must have been about three quarters of the way through that first episode. And and I just realized, you know what? 
I've no idea what's going on here. So I, I just turned it off, walked away, and then came back to it the next day to start watching it again. And then actually paying attention to it, it sucked me right in from the from this first episode. And, and from there, you know, it set quite a high bar and uh, started to enjoy it for there, from there. So, I mean, what, what were your first impressions of this? It's almost like you've written the same script for me, and I'm not trying to be a yes man and just totally agreeing with you, Dave. I'm sure after 60-odd episodes, you know that we have our own opinion on things, and we've done. but I was the same. I, I watched these, you know, I, I said to people before on the podcast, I finish work around midday because I start so early, and the afternoon time is when I will watch a film or whatever we're reviewing. If you said the cinema, and obviously we've got the cinema. And I did the same. I think I sat there, I had my laptop on, Netflix on, I'd had a brew. I'm so, and, and I think at one point I nodded off about not far into the first episode. And I thought, oh God, what are you doing? And, and again, I didn't have a clue what was going on. And then it, I took a step back and I thought, right, I'm going to have to watch this again. And I, I didn't go right back to the start. I remember about 15 minutes I was invested in it and then I just got totally waylaid with everything and I went in again and there's a point obviously where in the actual first episode which I think you're probably the same and it just it just got me in I just thought that is absolutely fantastic now are you going to say or am I Dave that scene for anyone who's not watched it it's brilliant well I mean we we haven't collaborated before this have we so no no but I think I know what you're going to say and that's when you have that kind of dollhouse effect and you've got uh, Tiffany's I think we're alone now playing oh amazing amazing I don't know why because it's not even a song I would put on in the house it's an 80s classic in it but it was just like it's the sort of thing you'd hear it like a, a reunion gig wouldn't you or something or these 80s reunion with our Spandau Ballet or Tiffany on whoever but yeah it was, it was brilliant because they'd all gone back to the house haven't they because of the father dying and they'd all been at loggerheads with each other and there was a couple of a little allegiances where like you know number one who's actually Luther, he's got a, quite a good relationship with Alice and Annie, number three. And he's a bit, even though the brother and sister or as such, there's a very close bond between them. And they're on the same page. But Luther and Diego don't like themselves. They've had a fight, aren't they, in the courtyard when they've got yeah. the father's ashes. And we get introduced to Klaus, who's just absolutely amazing character. <laughs> and, and I just think the whole way they did it, it added a... Yeah, they've got superpowers one way or the other, but it added a realism and a dynamic to them you don't really see. And I think we just reviewed, and it's quite a good comparison, I suppose, and it goes to be a bad comparison. We've just reviewed Titans last week with Paul. And this, for me, even in the first episode, explained everything a lot easier. It was a lot easier to watch. It wasn't a grind. I didn't feel that I was clock-watching at all throughout this whole series. I know we talk about in general the first episode here, but I genuinely thought the writing, everything just, it, I don't know, it just felt more believable for me, Dave. Yeah, I mean, I, I so I must admit, Chris, did have a little bit of a thing for Tiffany back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> and that song was, was absolutely huge. Now, hand on heart, though, I kind of got the songs muddled up in my head because I also had a bit of a thing for Belinda Carlisle. Oh, I like Belinda Carlisle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So she had a song around about the same time, uh, Heaven is a Place on Earth. Yeah. yeah. And I, I was kind of mixing them up in my head. But but what I loved about it, you know, these 
characters they they've obviously been you know this young superhero team and you see various flashbacks of them uh as we go through the series but now they've all grown up they're very different people uh they don't particularly all like each other um because they you know again they are very different but in this whole dollhouse uh i think we're alone now seeing you've got them all dancing very differently very uniquely but dancing to the same song you know and and i thought it was a good way to just you know through a fun little scene just tell us you know this is a kind of dysfunctional family but it still is a family and so that's what comes across to me is that very x-men kind of feel you know where you've got all the different uh, all the different personalities and back, you know, it was really the writer Chris Claremont for me. It, it was really his stories and, and the interplay between the different characters that made it so popular uh, in the certainly in the 80s. And I thought number one, so Luther, who's the space boy, you know, you see straight away he's got this unusual frame, hasn't he? You know, he's a yeah. little bit of a silly, you know, Dallas, <laughs> Dallas gone mad size shoulder pads, it seems at first. And, and you're wondering, you know, if you haven't read the, the graphic novel, you, you're wondering, well, what, what's going on there? That looks a bit weird. Um, but did, did you recognize who it is, the guy who plays Luther? I didn't, Dave, to be fair. I didn't. I, I recognised him, but I couldn't fit, pick where he was from. So I, I had to look him up, to be honest. But it's one of my favourite little scenes, you know, just a few seconds of a scene from Game of Thrones. Because, I mean, this is in, was it the last season or the season before? I think it might have been the season before. But you have Jamie Lannister and he's got the Tarleys on his side, and he rides up to this young chap, and he says, Rickon, and he corrects him for his real name. He goes, Dickon. <laughs> and, and you've got Bron there, who just absolutely gives out this massive belly laugh. <laughs> just <laughs> absolutely brilliant. Yeah, so it's Dickon Tarly from uh, Game of Thrones. So I, I've not really seen him in, in anything else. But, I mean, we do find out later, don't we, that he's effectively got that body of a gorilla after after his dad or his stepdad really tried to, tried to save him after a mission gone wrong. But, no, I, again, trying to put people in pigeonholes a little bit, he came across to me a bit like Cyclops does in the comics, you know, so very much toes the line. He's the leader, plays it all by the book. And, you know, he, he's taken the lead from the, the monocle, you know, the, the Professor X type character. He's really straight laced, isn't he, Dave? I mean, I think he, I know it sounds daft, but I, th- I like the way he danced because he was stiff even when he danced. One, because he's as big, cumbersome hulk of a man, but also he, he won't let himself go, will he? You know, it becomes apparent throughout the series that he, he literally believed everything his father said to him, doesn't he, at the start of the series? Yeah. It's really he's a good character, interesting character. And and I think the dynamic it needs it. He's got like the superhuman strength, and he's the, the sort of he is the leader, but he's not without fault, which I find really good to be fair. Yeah, absolutely. I think all of them are, are fairly flawed characters in some way, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, all of them. I mean, you look at Diego, him and obviously Luther have got a, a really fraught relationship in these first few episodes and in through the most of the series. And, and they have a, a scrap and that, like I said before, around when they were scattering the ashes. And Diego seems really, he's really like aggressive and, and angry, isn't he, with the world more than anything. And he's a cop, isn't he? You know, it's, it's, it's an yeah. interesting dynamic with them both. And I, I like it though, because he's number two. 
And what I found interesting was it was easy to follow the names because it was like, number one is Luther, number two is Diego. You know, yeah. usually it'll take three or four episodes before you pick up on the names, doesn't it, of these series? Yeah, yeah. And I did think, you know, Diego, I, I like, you know what? I, th- I think I like all the characters, um, but just some a bit more than others. But I did like Diego and he, he came across to me a little bit like that rebellious Wolverine type, you know. So you got number one, who's definitely the leader, but, you know, Diego's certainly not, you know, not averse to challenging him. And they, they rub up against each other quite quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's what you need, Dave. It's warring brothers, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I have plenty of battles with my brothers. I've got three brothers and five sisters. <laughs> I'd probably say the girls are tougher than the lads, but there's nine of us. But yeah, the, it, it is. It's true, you, you, and I think that makes it more real because they're not all going to get on in. You don't get on in real life, Dave. So it has to have that that sort of wearing family. There's always someone saying something about somebody in the family, isn't there? So I think it makes it more believable as well. Yeah. Now. Going on to number three, so Alison, and and like you say, she she'd had a bit of you know there was a bit of a, a, a kiddie romance, would you say? You know, earlier on the kind of flashback. So there's definitely you know a, a stronger bond between Luther and Alison, but you kind of get the impression she's she's not actually that nice of a person, you know, and she is quite manipulative. And so you start, you see that, you know, early on in the first episode, you you get hints that, you know, she's separated from a daughter and, you know, something's gone on there. And, and then you see a bit later, she's been using her powers to, you know, try and put her daughter to sleep and stuff. And I must admit, it, it, it did get me questioning, you know, <laughs> wouldn't, we, wouldn't we all do that? <laughs> You know, I've got three of them. And, you know, when you're out in public and they're tearing lumps out of each other and they're misbehaving and they're, to have the ability to just get, you know, I heard a rumor <laughs> that you were all, you know, quite quiet and well behaved. Yeah. Happy days. <laughs> <laughs> it would be really tempting, wouldn't it, to, to abuse that power. So I say she doesn't come across that nice of a person, but I, I guess probably in the same boat, I, I probably wouldn't come across very nice myself. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, I, I must admit, Dave, she's the one person in this series that I didn't understand about until the end. It was great writing. And I'd, I'd, the last two episodes, she really comes into her own, doesn't she, in that respect, what she's about as a character. But I, did, I must admit, at times, I, I didn't get... I, I first thought I got a bit of a, um, a Storm vibe to her because of the way she was and, and the way she could fight and everything. And, and she's very sort of kick-ass watching some of the scenes. But then in other situations, she's very vulnerable because of her daughter, because she's lost her daughter, hasn't she? And we find out that it's because she's used this... I've heard a rumour which is her sort of way of manipulating people. So I, I couldn't work her out more than anything in the first few episodes. I didn't know why, if she was just a filler character, you know, just to add the numbers up. Yeah, I mean, she comes across, she, she's gone into that life of being a celebrity, hasn't she? So I think it's, you know, that she does come across like a little bit stuck up and kind of looking down her nose at everyone else I, I think but then you know you're kind of warm to her as the as the series goes on don't you and, and you know she doesn't seem like I say it, it, imagine if you're born with these powers and yeah. that's the world that you know and and to get what you want from anyone 
you just have to utter these words. Yeah. I, I, I think that must be a tremendously difficult thing to, to not have it control you, you know, and, and not have it influence you. We had in, uh, you haven't seen the first series of Jessica Jones, have you? But the, the purple man. So David Tennant's character, it's the same sort of thing. He just has to tell people what to do and they do it. So you think what, influence that has on you as a person and and it probably nine times out of ten it probably turn you into not a very nice one yeah yeah that's a very good uh, analogy of them david description i think now obviously as we go down the characters well i think one of the main guys who steals the whole series dave is number four otherwise known as klaus and <laughs> fantastic fantastic character he'd be just he's so He's a flamboyant pansexual drug addict, isn't he? With the ability to communicate with the dead. And he's always said, like, why haven't you not communicated with dad? Why have you not, you know, spoke to him? And and this is like his thing all the way through the series, isn't it? That's like his sort of clutch. And he's a, he's a drug addict, so he's all over the place. He's very much a renting out a train spotting cross with a couple of other characters really I, I i mentioned it to you and i don't think that the listeners will know there's a character in a program called kingdom which is about an mma family and there's one of the brothers in that is very very much like klaus other than the fact that klaus isn't a fighter his character is exactly the same dave it's just so uncanny even down to wearing the makeup and the way he dresses and that sort of the way he prances around and sort of he's very he's very camp and and very assured of himself anyway really in, in other scenes he's, he's like a little kid then isn't he? and then he's very insecure but I, I just found his character so fascinating yeah i i loved him and and i think it'd be a close run thing if i was to call out number four or number five as my favorite I, i'm not kind of sure i think number five might pip it for me but just sticking on Klaus for a second i love this character the guy's name is robert sheehan and i first saw him in misfits and when i saw him in that have you seen that at all chris no i haven't no okay we might have to go back to that it's not strictly based on a comic book movie but it is a bit comic booky so i i but i'd first seen him in that and i thought he played a great character and i thought this guy is going to go on to huge things and it hasn't really worked out for him uh, i've not really seen him in that much i think he i seem to remember he was in a nick cage film the witch hunter or something like that but you know this is the first thing i've seen him in for ages so he plays like you say klaus his code name is the seance and you know he seems to take all these drugs to basically quieten all the voices you know because he doesn't want to summon the dead all the time you know he's a bit of a six cents i see dead people kind of thing we get a little bit of a scene like that don't we where he's locked in the cupboard um but yeah just absolutely brilliant and one of my favorite scenes for him was just uh you know when when we get the time cops kind of torturing him and he's like look you've got the wrong brother <laughs> you know they don't tell me anything <laughs> and then they try and waterboard him and he's like oh thanks i was really thirsty <laughs> <You know? laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> It doesn't matter what they do. And they're like, he's enjoying this, you know? <laughs> oh, that's it. They try and strangle him, don't they? And yeah. like, hold on. God, I'm almost there. Yeah, it's yeah. Like... <laughs> <laughs> the Asian going on there, Dave. Yeah, it's very, very good. Very, very good character. <laughs> but it just, I think 
what the series does for me is it just balances these comedy moments, the action moments, the touching kind of quiet moments, the interaction between the characters. I just thought it was all brilliant, but certainly for laughs, you know, Klaus got, got most of those, I think. Yeah, he did. He did. And it, I, I agree, though, going into number five as well. What a great actor. He's only a young lad. He must be about 14, 15, mustn't he? And, and uh, Aidan Gallagher, he's called, isn't he? Fantastic, Dave. And, and he's playing an older guy who's come back and he goes missing for 17 years and then just suddenly comes back, obviously, at that point because the father's died. And in some of the flashback scenes, he's like 58 years old, and he? He's lived a life and it's very difficult because he's with Luther saying stuff like, I've lived a life, don't worry. You know, you're still young, and it's like, but when you look at him, he's 20 years younger than him. It is brilliant. And like you say, this kid, he's he's going to go on to big things, I think. Now, hopefully, I, I did predict that for Robert Sheehan, but uh, obviously it didn't work out for him. But I've, I'm fully bought into this kid being, you know, 60 years old or something, you know, and having lived that long life, you know, when he sat in the diner, he's like, you know, give me a coffee. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's just, it's just absolutely brilliant. And uh, yeah, he's, he's got the ability to jump through space and time and he ends up, he, he fast forwards and he ends up in this apocalyptic world and, you know, he's struggling to get back. He ends up getting recruited into the commission, which is basically an agency that keeps tabs on the timeline and figures out who could threaten it and corrects things. And so he ends up working for them for a bit and then, you know, ends up manipulating his way to get back. But instead of his old kind of however old he is, you know, on the order of 60 years old, when he pops back, he's in his little school uniform and shorts, isn't he? <laughs> Which is, <laughs> it's just a, a brilliant execution, I think, of, of, like I say, just playing that older character in that younger body and, and you know, how the other characters interact with him as well. Because it, it's a bit of a mind bender isn't it you know because you kind of you know he's a 60 year old but when you look at him you just see this young kid yeah very good and good writing again Dave as well really really clever really clever character and yeah um, and then we've got number seven so we're skipping from five to seven oh we'll get that well, I'll, I'll, I'll explain why we're we're skipping we'll come back to six so skipping six and going on to seven we've got Vanya whose code name is the white violin now it's only it only becomes the white violin later and this happens a bit earlier in the comics so there's not as much of intrigue about this but you know sticking to the start of this series really she's so the the actress is Ellen Page who we knew from playing Kitty Pride in X-Men she's been in lots of other stuff as well she's in super but you know she's a, a fairly well-known character so even knowing nothing about the comics, I'd imagine, you know, people coming into this are thinking, oh, well, she's, you know, she's been told she's ordinary. She's got no powers. Uh, we see old Reginald Hargreaves. He's he's a fairly cold character, isn't he? So, you know, when when we flash back to the kids, you know, and they're off on their superhero mission, Vanya's just there hanging about with the monocle and, and gets told by him, you know, there's nothing special about you. You're just ordinary. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, again, just knowing the character, you're kind of thinking, well, you know, 
is she really ordinary? Would they cast someone like that to play this role? Um, I mean, what what did you think of her character this this first I, half? I I always I don't know why, Dave. It could be I've mentioned this before. It could be superhero movie Spidey sense, I suppose you could call it. But I pretty much was certain that there was a reason that all the rest of the brothers and sisters had something about them, and she didn't. I didn't know what it was. I obviously had no background to the comics, but I kept thinking she's going to redeem herself somewhere along the line. And, and obviously we find out later on there is something. But at this point, I didn't have a clue. But I did think there was something not quite right. And why, obviously, they kept having the flashbacks to the dad, who, who each character had their own sort of little origin with the father, didn't they, and what he did to them. And when he was with her, he, he was constantly telling her at the start, you're just ordering me. You haven't got any powers. Stay out of it. So she stayed out of a lot of the, the scenes, didn't you? A lot of the violence that ensued when yeah. they were younger. He basically sent the other ones in there to to deal with everything. And she was just sort of, she was sort of like a, I suppose in some respects, she was a bit like with the Avengers when they've got like a, a human element, you know, like Phil, oh, it's called Phil Thingy out of the shield. You know, he's a bit of an agent, but he isn't superhero. Phil Coulson. Yeah, Coulson. So he is an agent, but he's not really got a lot of superpowers, has he? But I, I thought you were going to call out Hawkeye there. Well, yeah, Hawkeye <laughs> as well. But he's actually, a, 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 you know, someone who's a bit on the peripheral of it all. But I had yeah. a feeling all the way through it that there was something not completely 100% about her character. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But and, and we'll come into that in a in a little while. But I, I'd skip number six on purpose rather than going through order in order because we have number six who's Ben, and his code name's the Horror, and he basically possesses monsters uh, from another dimension that live under his skin or appear through from under his skin. Now he's actually dead. We didn't really get to find out what what exactly happened there, but he regularly appears to Klaus. And so throughout the series, you know, Ben does have a role there, but he's obviously, you know, people just think Klaus is a bit nuts and just talking to himself. So I'm not sure anyone fully buys into the fact that it's it's really Ben there. Yeah, yeah. And again, he's another good sidekick to the Klaus character. He has a lot of dimensions. I think Klaus, out of all the characters, Dave, has got more layers than anybody. And he's more important to the actual story, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we get to see a little bit later, don't we? He can kind of, uh, he can become physical as well. So he can yeah. actually land punches and things, but they, between Ben and Klaus, they don't know how to control it. So I think in a second season, we might see a bit more of Ben, but, you know, again, we'll we'll discuss that towards the end and, and maybe speculate a bit about what that second season might be. Now, I'd mentioned about Sir Reginald Hargreaves or the monocle. Now, for me, he's, he's definitely that Professor X type character. Um, and by that, I mean, he's not really that likable, I don't think. <laughs> now, I don't think you, I, I think certainly in the, in the X-Men movies, you're probably warm to Professor X a bit more. But I haven't read the comics. I, I think he's a bit of a tool. And and I think, you know, a bit later when we get towards the end, I might, I might elaborate a bit on that. But, I mean, he's – you probably didn't pick up on it in this series, maybe. But he's actually an alien. Oh, right. 
Did you? Well, no, no, so no, from no. your response, it was really, really quite subtle. So again, quite, it's a lot more obvious from the comics. And actually, they, <laughs> you like this because I know you, you, you love your wrestling. The comics actually start off with a cosmic wrestling match. <laughs> and it's from this, what is it what they call when they, they climb up to the high rope and then they dive off and like land on someone with their elbow? Flying oh, elbow. Flying elbow, yeah. Flying elbow. Yeah. There we go. So it's yeah. a, a cosmic flying elbow. And that's the event that kicks off all these random births. <laughs> so I think, you know, it's one of those slightly nutty, definitely influenced by Grant Morrison things that, you know, works quite well in the comics. Kind of glad that they dropped it for this. But yeah, so old Reginald, he's, he's actually an alien there. And we get a little flashback scene, you know, to. Uh, when he starts off, his, he buys his little umbrella shop. Um, and you can see this is obviously like 100 years ago or something, but he just looks exactly the same as, as what he did, you know, just before he passed away. All right. I didn't even pick up on that, Dave. Yeah. So I think if we got a second season, we'll, we'll probably, it'll be a little bit more obvious. And I think a lot of people might go, oh, I didn't even notice that. You know, there were no clues, but like I say, there, there are a couple of clues there. Now, I guess the last character just to touch on a bit is is Pogo, who I quite like. So Pogo's a chimpanzee and and an assistant to Reginald. And I I was watching this and I'm thinking, God, the the CGI on this is pretty damn good. Because I had to keep reminding myself, this is this is TV. Yeah. Yeah, it is really good, Dave. I, I think budget wise, it's up there with some of the best I've seen. Without a doubt. I don't know how much the budget was. Either that or they got very clever people working in the CGI department. But, yeah, fantastic. And not there's nothing watching this, though, Dave, that makes me feel as if I'm watching a TV show. I know Netflix have got money and they've got bigger budgets than a lot of the stuff that's out there, but it feels like it's really, really well produced, isn't it, as a production, as a 10-episode series. It's really, really well done. Like, you can see the Daredevil and that. They've got some great visual effects, but there's no CGI, is there? Because it's all about the cosmetic side of it. You know, Matt's getting beat up or whatever. There's a lot of believable stuff in that. This is a proper, like, movie-type CGI. Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree. It's very high quality. Um, again, I can't help but think back to our review for last week from Titans, where we said that kind of flip-flopped between, you know, on one hand being a bit of a Netflix you know, darker toned type series. And then it felt a bit like a CW type show. It felt all a bit brighter and a bit, there was something just off about the the whole cinematography. Uh, but this absolutely, I, I think this is a step above um, where Titans was. Yeah, I do. I do. And I said it to you about Titans. It was Smallville. Then all of a sudden it was, Tarantino killed Bill from nowhere. It was just wanting violence, wasn't it? So this struck everything correct, and the vulnerability of all the characters was believable. In Titans, it felt like nobody was really going to get beaten up or, or defeated, really, I think. They were literally superhuman at times. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, again, for me, it's the it's the interplay between the different characters and, and the growth of those different characters that uh, that steps it up. A level for me but i mean some of the just going into some of the highlights throughout the throughout the movie i mean i think it was in was it in the first scene or the second that 
I know the first episode and the second. I think there's a couple of fight scenes, isn't there? So num- we get number five. And again, we don't just find out that it's a little, uh, it's an old man in a young kid's body, you know, but he's pretty kick ass as well, isn't he? So, you know, he, he gets taken or he gets cornered by these time cops, by the, the commission essentially in the diner. And then he just, take some names as you'd say chris yep <laughs> <laughs> yeah but the poor the poor garage guy he gets a good kick in as well doesn't he afterwards well no. you know unfortunately he's, he's spoken to the wrong young man at the at the diner hasn't he so i think i i from this initial uh, fight scene in the in the diner just thought it was absolutely brilliant and again it made use of his kind of uh time and space jumping powers really really well and then you've got this quirky istanbul song playing in the back which i must admit i've been i've had almost on repeat for the last week (laughs) just like (laughs) this quirky little music just complements this violence that we're seeing on the on the screen but uh there's that and then you know we get the the time cops for the commission so you get hazel and cha-cha uh cha-cha being played by mary j blige you i thought the pair of them i, I thought played a blinding role because they play these kind of disgruntled cops you know and uh they're trying to track down number five because he's obviously done a runner but i think it's the it's the second issue isn't it, it was the second issue second episode where you've got again a different choice of music you get queens don't stop me now there um, when they're trying to take him out. And I, I just thought it, it was just brilliant all the way through. The music choices I, I thought were fantastic. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think, I actually think, to be fair, Hazel and Chacha are really, really good characters. And, and I Dave, I'll, I'll be honest with you, until we're doing this now and you just said it, I didn't realise that was Mary J. Blige. I actually knew it was somebody I recognised, but I just, I didn't want to, I know it sounds daft, I should have just looked on Google, but I didn't. But I kept thinking, God, where, she, where do I know her from? And I, yeah. I know the ones where, I don't know about you, but sometimes I refuse to go on Google unless it's the last resort, thinking it'll come back to where she's from. It'll come back to where she's from. Yeah. And he didn't. But now you've just said it. Yeah, good good uh, call on that one. And then Hazel, such a vulnerable, he's a bad guy. They come into it. They're horrible, aren't they? You know, they, they're fighting and everything. But really, really likable character, I think, to be honest, especially towards the end of the series. He's, he's a, he has got a redeeming quality to him. Yeah, I've warmed to them both. I, but I think Hazel definitely. I, I, you know, he. You'd mentioned about the guy who got tortured, and that was in the second season, wasn't it? And and again, it was fairly, uh, fairly horrible and fairly brutal how they basically kill that bloke. And so you're thinking, ah, oh, these these two aren't very nice. But then he does love his donuts, doesn't he? And when he's talking to the to the owner of the um, the diner, you know, and he's having a little bit of chit chat with her, and and uh, she's obviously very enthusiastic about her donuts, and you know, she talks about them being light and fluffy, and he says, you know, how how come you're so light and fluffy, or something like that, you know, and I I was thinking that he's gonna do the same to her, you know, I thought I thought at some point he's gonna torture her for information. So I, I thought there was something sinister about this little bit of small talk they were having, but no, it was just 
it was just genuine small talk and uh you know he seemed to he seemed to fall for her a bit yeah yeah he does and, and i think as well like we, we get introduced to a couple of characters around the series and one of them who is quite important is leonard peabody as well who comes into it he's a alleged carpenter in he and vanya you know she's getting no attention at this point she's been ostracized out of the family and she she feels like she can't go anywhere she's a nobody she's got no qualities or superpowers she feels like her father's abandoned that he was not interested in her at all and he as soon as he come into it dave i don't know about you i was thinking this guy's not a good guy at all. <laughs> he came across quite creepy, didn't he, straight away. off the bat? Because, Van, you know, Vanya's well into it. She's like, oh, someone's giving me attention finally for the first time in my life. And, and yeah, I, I genuinely I knew straight away. I thought, no, nah, this guy's not a good guy whatsoever. I, I didn't know what his origin was, what it was about, but I genuinely thought, nah, something's going to go on here with her, definitely. So... Uh... He's not from the comics, and they've they've made some changes from the comics. You know, you've got some more kind of wacky villains in the comics, and and so this is a, a bit more of a grounded. You know, he is a villain, really, isn't he? Um, it very much reminds me of Syndrome from The Incredibles. <laughs> you know? So ultimately, he was born on the same day that this event happened, where you get all the Umbrella Academy kids being born. But his was just a natural birth, and so him too. You know, he was just told that he's he's an ordinary kid, but he just he just wants so badly to be part of the Umbrella Academy, and so he just says a lot of the right things that speak to Vanya. And you know, I guess initially we're thinking, oh, Vanya, you know, she's got no superpowers, but you know, she seems pretty handy on the violin. But then we kind of find out, well, she's a bit of an ordinary violin player as well. You know? yeah. So she, she has to be pushed a little bit. You know, she's been third chair for a long time um, and has to be pushed a little bit to, to end up auditioning for that first chair role. But yeah, he's, he's old Leonard. It, again, the actor does a pretty good job there of coming across and speaking to us as the audience and letting us know, yeah, he's a bit, some a bit off about him, a bit creepy. So, I mean, as we go through this series, we've got Hazel and Cha-Cha. And, and again, this is this is more out of the second volume, Umbrella Academy. So they don't appear in the first one. But it, it, they're knitted into this story. And we're not quite sure why they're after number five initially. But we get to learn that, you know, he'd, he'd lived out his life or, or you know, he'd, he'd lived to a ripe old age. Number five, that is. And then he'd been recruited by the commission. I think we mentioned that earlier. And then so he'd started to work for them and he showed himself to be a little bit of a star. And so he was correcting things like the Hindenburg tragedy that, that there was. So he corrected something that was that was wrong in the timeline there. So, But then he'd ended up trying to, again, manipulate his position. So he'd sent little notes to Hazel and to Cha-Cha to kill each other, which I thought was yeah. <laughs> uh, a nice little move. But yeah, again, I, I, I wonder how much people pick up on that on a first watch, kind of understand everything that's going on. Because I, I have to say, so this is, I'm not going to include that first failed attempt to watch you know, the first episode, but I must admit I've, I'm halfway through my second watch of this. 
So I got to the end and I just thought that the next day I thought, you know what, I'm going to watch that again. Yeah, I think it deserves to be watched again as well because it, I will watch it again quite soon because there's so much stuff there and, and there's a lot of stuff that you won't pick up on on a first watch, Dave. I think it it's one of them shows that there'll be a lot of things when you get to the end, you'll think, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, know, I don't get it, but I, don't, I didn't see it. But I, I know even just by reviewing it and by what we've both spoke about so far, there's stuff that I need to go back on as well and and look at because you do get distracted watching these sort of things don't you you can't hand on heart say for 10 episodes you're going to sit there it's going to have your undivided attention in this day and age it doesn't but it's it's such a good thing it's literally blinking you'll miss it sometimes with these things because i did not pick up on the fit about the father like you mentioned before at all and obviously you knew with the comics and researching it but i didn't i didn't even pick up on the fact that it's obviously some sort of alien so yeah again it's not it's not hinted at it's 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 right in your face in the comics. So so without knowing that, I probably wouldn't have picked up on it in the series. It, it was only because going into it, knowing that, you, you kind of see things that you might not have seen before. But definitely, you know, I, I, I think I'm halfway through my second watch. I'll probably watch it again, to be honest. <laughs> um, and I'll pick up more on the second and third watches. But, I mean, essentially we've got, you know, we've got Leonard... You know, he's he's telling Vanya all the things that she wants to hear, really. He's making her feel special when for a whole life she's been told how ordinary she is. But he starts, as he gains her confidence and starts to get closer to her, you start to see, you know, all is not well. And you find out that he's actually done time for quite a bit, hasn't he? You know, yeah. so he's... he's killed off his dad and and done time for that so he really is a quite unsavory character now when you know they went out for dinner so leonard and and vanya and there's some ruffians (laughs) (laughs) hanging out on his car and um as soon as they showed up, I'm, I'm thinking again because this this guy isn't from the comics but you, you know i'm thinking he's paid them i did yeah, I, I think anybody watching it's the only thing I could say, Dave. Uh, sorry to cut across you. Genuinely, I genuinely did think he's got something to do with these guys because they were just so in his face, weren't they, from nowhere? Yeah. And they give him an absolute kick in because in Leonard's warped mind, he believes that by making her vulnerable and not being able to help anybody and, and someone who she loves is getting hurt, that it'll bring our powers and it works in a warped type of way, doesn't it? Because she just sort of, she's just frozen, doesn't she? This sort of force comes out of her and, and she just throws these three guys into vehicles and everything because Leonard's got an absolute pace in, hasn't he? With yeah. end of his life, basically. You know, we, we find out that he's lost his eye, hasn't he? But in, in the hospital, but yeah, he, she, she ends up killing two of them and one of them's critically ill, aren't they? Yeah, and, and I think... You know, at this point, you're just thinking, oh, she hasn't really got control of her powers. And, you know, so two of them are dead. But, well, it's kind of one of those things, maybe. But, you know, she she keeps making those same mistakes. So she's on a dark path, isn't she? And and I think this bit for me, again, is is where I think you draw the the X-Men parallels. Because that Dark Phoenix story. Again, one of those little coincidences, the fact that the movie's coming out later this year. The comic story reads very much like this, where you've got, you know, you've got Jean Grey and she is a heroic uh, individual. 
but then you know she's manipulated and then you know you get more of this transition into the dark phoenix and you know, again, if you've watched X Men Three, have you have you seen X Men Three at all? Yeah, yeah, I would say again because a, a lot of the beats end up the same to that, don't you? So Jean ends up, you know, being a, a a bit of a villain, and Wolverine ends up having to having to kill her off. So again, I I definitely got this kind of Dark Phoenix vibe, you know, as as she starts to get more of those powers, and and she's a bit reckless and and really dangerous with them. Yeah, and I think as well, leading into this, Leonard takes her off because of what's happened and he sort of gets off at a hospital, he's lost his eye, takes her to this sort of little country house, doesn't he, that they're at, they're sort of isolated and Alison's on sort of hot pursuit. And this, the bit in the actual series, I thought was really, really unexpected because Alison turns up eventually after doing a bit of investigating of where Vanya is and trying to work out what's going on. She speaks to the guy in the hospital, one of the attackers, who says we were paid by this guy. And she's showing pictures, isn't she? She's gained the trust of this cop who's a big fan of her in the movies and all this. And she has a confrontation with Vanya, and I was not expecting this. And Vanya, Alison basically says to her that she had she does a flashback when she was younger with her father where she had to do the... I've heard a rumour trick and she used it on Vanya to stop her from remembering she had powers, didn't she? And it all comes back to Vanya and Alison tells us like we can take a clean slate and just as Vanya's about to attack, she goes to say it and Vanya slices her throat open, doesn't she, with the violin, uh, you know, the violin stick, whatever it's called. And I was just like, I was not expecting that at all. I was like, oh, wow, that was proper good twist and makes it sort of, verifies Vanya as she's so in between good and bad at this point, isn't she? She's very much a the dark and the light at the moment. Yeah, again, you get a sense that it's kind of an accident, but you've just killed two people. One's critically ill, and you've just... I mean, in that episode, you kind of think she's dead, don't you? I mean, yeah. the, the effects are really good. Again, I have to keep reminding myself, this is TV, because it looks you know, quite realistic. We find out, you know, she's, she doesn't die from it, um, but we're not clear is she ever going to speak again. And so, yeah, it has to become in the Dark Phoenix or the White Violin um, is almost complete, isn't it? You know, the, the guys all turn up at the sort of house late and they see Alison, don't they? She's gone. And, and in the end, Leonard's saying to Vanya, and he's like, let's go, let's go. But then she realises that he's manipulated her because she, she, she feels the pangs of guilt. She's just, well, she thinks she's killed her sister, doesn't she? Yeah. And this is very, now I've got to say that I agree, this is very much Dark Phoenix job, X-Men 3, because she just picks Leonard up, they have an argument, all the tools and, and knives and everything comes out and just absolutely just stabs the hell out of him, doesn't she? And throws him back in the chair. She lifts up this whole room. And it's, it, I agree, it was so much like... The X Men. It's been a bit like when Professor X gets killed in X Men Three, doesn't it? You yeah. know, we have that whole thing in the in the house where Magneto's there and that with Gene. And I agree. I told you. Vinnie Jones. And, well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> <Ratton. laughs> yeah. Against um, he's against you, Jack. We didn't see against yeah. Wolverine. Yeah, that's 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 pretty poor. That the the Cockney bad guy. But, but yeah, really, really powerful scene, and and this sets up everything now. I mean. Vanya's just gone full on 
bad girl, aren't she? And, and the, the guys then, then end up getting her, don't they, and taking her back to the mansion, don't they, to take her into a soundproof room to keep her away. But it reminds her of being a kid again, doesn't it? Because we've had flashbacks where the father put her in there with Pogo as well when she was younger. So Yeah, and I think this this is where as well, again, I keep going back to the X-Men, but there was a... I think it was around 2005, so a little bit before this came out, there was a there was a series called X Men Deadly Genesis, and it really explored how Professor X was a lot more manipulative than anyone really realised before. And so again, I I wonder if in the writing they've been influenced by that at all. But you know, the family essentially find out that Vanya is powerful, and you know, especially for Alison, she was she was manipulated herself to, you know, perform this horrible act on Banya, you know, and make her feel for a whole life up until this point that she's completely ordinary. When in actual fact she's the most powerful out of the lot. Yeah. Now from Hargreaves' point of view, uh, old Reggie He's probably thinking, well, it's a necessary evil in the same way that Professor X was saying, you know, he was trying to quieten the phoenix down because she was so dangerous. So basically, you know, walled off part of her mind to try and, you know, keep her ordinary and, and you know, keep that part of her, her psyche out of out of the main part of Jean's mind. So again, just there's so many parallels here, but but yeah, she, once she's killed Leonard, you know, because I think that's about episode nine, isn't it? You're thinking, okay, kind of thought he was the baddie. He's just the facilitator, really. So Vanya's gone full on, you know. She she is definitely the baddie now, and and for me, it's not just about you know she's realised she's had powers, especially with the effect she does in her eyes. I mean, in the comics, she's she's all white. So again, I think good choice for TV. They just make the the eyes quite white. She does look like she's kind of possessed, doesn't she? She just goes full on psycho. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she does. She just she. But basically, it shows that she's the most powerfulest one out of all of them. Didn't she have all the children? Yeah. And that control, it was something she couldn't control when she was a kid. And now it's all come back to her 20 years later. She's just wanting destruction, into Everything in her, in her path is just... No, nobody at this point can really stop her with what she's doing, you know. I, I, I like this white violin, David. Is this the character when she's in the comics, like when she's fully turned? Because yeah. she's got the white violin, the white suit, and she signifies everything. And she's got the eyes. She's got the proper demon eyes, really, as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at that first volume, it's it's right there on the first cover, so you, you can see her if you stroll around to your local comic shop. But uh, I must admit, I mean, again, uh, you know, in the comics, it's the same. It, well, he, he goes in a different way, but I was sad to see Pogo go. Yeah, yeah, it was. He was a good character, strong character, but as we go further on, is he completely gone, Dave? You know what I mean? Because Grace is also killed as well, isn't she? So it's 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 like uh, you never know with season two, shall we say? But yeah, she, she basically just takes the whole mansion out, doesn't she? As you said, and and they're trying to find out where she is. There's a great scene in the bowling alley, isn't there? Where they're in the bowling alley, and these girls there after the mansion's gone and Vanya's disappeared, and the girl comes over and goes, "Look, if you if you're not going to play bowling, 
manager says, you got to go. And Luther just picks a bowling ball up, doesn't he? And just throws it like it's a tennis ball <laughs> across about four lanes, gets a strike, and they just carry on talking because obviously Alison, sorry, they're talking. Alison can't talk, so she has to communicate at this point, doesn't she? Because the vocal cords have been damaged. She has to write stuff down, yeah. She has to yeah. write stuff down, doesn't she? So, but then as the son decide they need a plan, and Luther's like, you know, Diego has a go at him, and the, for the first time in the whole series, they're sort of at peace with each other, and they're on the same page. And he says to him, we need a plan. And he went, yeah, we do need a plan. But as that happens, a load of guys burst through with machine guns, don't they? And we get a cracking set piece now of, of just wanting destruction in this poor Tempin bowling alley just gets absolutely destroyed. But there's a great bit of filming where they're running. They, they realise the only way out of this actual bowling alley is to go through the actual lanes like a strike, don't we? Klaus does the old full-on strike, doesn't he? Proper faith plants <laughs> and everything. <laughs> it's really good. It's really good because they, they've realised they've got to go. They know Vanya, even though she's in this state as the White Island, she's still going to do her performance on the on at the theatre, isn't they? So they, they know they've got to go there to, to get her because she's going to sort of the whole world is revolving Cause the apocalypse. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. So we get a cracking set piece and we get uh, – Alison comes in. Now, Alison's had the time to put a full-on dressing, you know, a gown suit on. She's got a sparkly, lovely black dress with the old – I would probably have a scarf on around her a neck day, if you know, <laughs> personally, but, you know, each to their own. It's a fashion – but she's, she's the only one who's made an effort at this point at this theatre. And – Vanya's playing away, isn't she? She's playing fantastically and she's got the whole places in awe of her and they're, they're all like, everything she does, it's just winning them over. And then all of a sudden you get Luther and, and Diego try to jump her, don't they? And she just she just swipes the swipes them out and then everyone just carries on playing, don't they? And he's just wanting destruction then and it, like absolute bedlam in this theatre. I just thought it was brilliant. And it was it was such a clever way of introducing a character more that she's under control now of what of, you know what her powers are and that and and the absolute destruction she can lay on anybody. I, I think this last ten minutes or so was really really good. Yeah, and what I liked about it was, you know, again you've got Luther playing that kind of Cyclops leader role where he's making the hard decisions. You know, a little bit earlier because of what she'd done to Allison. You know, he kind of chokes out. Vanya to kind of put her to sleep but for a moment I'm thinking oh he's he's angry he's going to kill her there um, and he's the one who locks her up in that soundproof room and, and again makes those hard decisions whereas everyone else in the family is sort of saying well she's still our sister you know we can't really help her when she's in there so you know again in this final scene in the theatre you've got that same conflict you know she is the bad guy yeah. We've got to take her out, but she's our sister. So we, you know, we need to do it in a, in a way that doesn't really take her out. Yeah. So I, th- I thought it was really, really good. And I've got to say, Dave, as well, within this whole set piece, one of my favorite scenes is where Klaus, you know, the get these guys come who've attacked him in the actual bowling alley. They appear at every angle of the theatre, don't they? Just like raining bullets down. Number five ducks a cover. Luther's there. Alison, they're all ducking for cover. A, a split, a split off from that. When it gets a second, obviously Diego starts fighting with Chad Chad, he? and he, he's trying to beat the hell out of her because of what's happened with with them killing his girlfriend, the uh, police lady. But it's when Klaus reveals to them all that. 
he can see Ben and he, he Ben takes over he takes over Ben, doesn't he? And Ben becomes just like a hologram, doesn't he, to take out all these guys and they all start believing him then, don't they? they all look up and yeah. just say, Oh Klaus isn't mad. And Ben's there with like his oct- octopus tentacle sort of thing around the theatre, just chopping and maiming all these these like henchmen, knocking them in half and everything. And what I found really good is he, he does all that, and they realise they've got to go after Vanya. Then don't they? Like, what we're going to do? Like, create a ring. But what makes you laugh is I think Diego turns around and goes, "He's Ben. He's bending on this." You know, like, uh, oh no, so that's the time travelling bit. Then he goes, "He's bending on this." You know, because all of a sudden. It validates everything that Klaus has said. He's not mad. You know, they all think he's mad, don't they? But he's not. Yeah. They can't see. And I thought that was really redeeming. I love them redemption things within the series, Dave. And I thought that was probably one of the best little turns in the whole thing, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, uh, Diego had gone from thinking Klaus is just a complete imbecile and, and buffoon, really, hadn't they, to, to kind of warm into him a, a bit, you know. So I, I, I quite like that as well. Yeah. It's a sort of my sort of bread and butter with these films, Dave. You know, I love a good redemption to a superhero as such. And, and obviously Vanya then, at this point, they surround her, but Vanya then takes out all the guys, doesn't she? And she picks them up very much. It reminded me slightly, not as I mean, it's better CGI, but the old Superman 3, Dave, you know, with the old finger when Robert Vaughn's sister gets taken over and she has that white stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, she's the robot. The robot, isn't she? And she has the tentacles then, a bit like what Ben had, and she takes out Lou for Diego, Klaus, and number five, and she's got him in the air, and she doesn't want to kill her. They said one of us will get through, won't they? And yeah. the one who gets through is actually Alison. Now, obviously, she could say, I've heard a rumour, because she can't speak, she can't do it. She has a gun pointing at Vanya's head, doesn't she? But you're thinking, she's not going to shoot her. Is she going to shoot her? She's going to shoot her. And she doesn't. And because of the sound and everything, she just puts the gun to her ear, doesn't she? And just blasts it off, which drops all the, uh, the all the guys down. And Vanya then collapses into her arms, doesn't she? And, and it's like... But at that point, number five's already said the apocalypse is still going to happen, didn't he? He thinks that by killing Leonard, because he had the eye, didn't he? He had Leonard's eye and stuff. Yeah. It's going to stop the apocalypse, but it doesn't. And she fires off then. Vanya fires off to the moon, which then splits off this big chunk of the moon and all these proper stars and, and fire just comes firing down from the moon, doesn't it, to create the apocalypse? Yeah, I mean, essentially, so mission failed. <laughs> We've been at <laughs> like for 10 episodes and, you know, she's actually, she's destroyed the moon. And so they, you've got all these fragments coming down to the earth and that's what, is starting the apocalypse. So five comes out with the idea that they need to go back in time. Marty. (laughs) (laughs) Great Scott. It's your kids. (laughs) Something's got to be done about the kids. We need to get get 1.21 gigawatts. um, And we need to go back to 1956 or whenever it was. But anyway, anyway. Um, but yeah, so they're going to have to go back in time. And so they, they go back in time and they, the team all reverts to teenagers and then, and then we're done. Yep. That's the end of it. You, you get, you get a little apocalypse. You get Chacha gets taken out, doesn't he? She's doing the old matrix thing on the phone and she's trying to sort of get out and she gets taken out. You get the guy in the, he's a security guy anyway. He sat there reading. Um, and then he gets taken out. And like you're saying, that's the end of the series. And I must admit, I did fast forward the credits thinking, come on, there's going to be, is there going to be an after credits thing? But there isn't, is there, Dave? And it's just basically season two. You know there's going to be a season two now. Yeah, yeah. I think 
if ever there was an ending that begs, you know, <laughs> give me a season two, it's this one. Now, I I said years and years ago, I, I remember watching this series called Invasion. I watched that, yeah. Did you watch it? it? Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. not, not many people, I don't think, watch that. But it, this first season, it was really intriguing. And then just towards the end of it, because it's a bit of an, uh, you know, an invasion of the body snatchers kind of thing. And gets to the end of the season and it's really starting to ramp up and then they cancelled the bloody thing and i was thinking right that's it i'm done (laughs) if you're gonna finish like this i am done now i think this was a bit like that in that you know if for whatever reason a second season doesn't come then it leaves you a little bit unsatisfied that there was actual closure but i i can't see this not getting a season two to be honest no, I can't. I genuinely can't. And I'm with you, Dave. There's been loads of, and it's one of the reasons, there's been loads of things I've invested in that I've started watching with Sam and I'll just go off. I'm not watching this. And she's like, why? Because I know full well it's going to get cancelled. And I'll say to her about six months later, I always keep up to date with the news, not just because of our podcast before the podcast. And I'll go, you know, that series you watched, it was on the first day. She go, yeah, I go, yeah, it's been cancelled. And she's like, you're joking. It's been loads that hard day. Did you give a, give a bit of a Nelson. Ha ha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I used to do that, Dave, when I'm on the phone about 20 miles away. Cause if yeah, 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 yeah. Without I'm a striking, yeah, outside of striking range. <laughs> I'm getting a but no, there's been loads of series where we've done the same, me and Sam, where I remember Lost finished, like you say, uh, there was a few sort of lost clones afterwards that were was very similar. And there was one with one of the Fines brothers and it was really good. And there was, did you see the one where it was the guy out of Breaking Bad, the, the, the one who was the, oh, uh, is it Gus? He, he was in it and it was set where all the planes fell out of the sky and they went back to sort of having to farm everything and they had to live like it was like the 1600 right. because no electricity was working. It was on Sky One and we watched like the first series and the first, about the first half of the season, I was like, this is brilliant. It's only a couple of years ago, Dave. And it was terrible after that. It went really downhill and then it got cancelled, I think, after the second series. But oh, I opted out after the first one. I was like, right, I'm not watching this. It's going to get cancelled. And Sam's like, no, it's not. And I went, yeah, it is. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> it really awesome, did. awesome. Well, should we go into our final review? Let's go. So, Dave, I'm not sure which one of us it is this week, Dave. So I I'm, think it's you. I'm pretty I, sure yeah. I, I went after Paul. I think I went after Paul last week. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. And it's actually a pleasure to review this one, Dave. I, I, Titans was a good series, but this, for me, different level. I didn't know anything about the characters, which I think actually helped with this and helped me make my own mind up because I had a lot of issues with the, the Robin and you know, things like that in the in the Titans. So for this, it was great to be able to have a bit of a backstory and investment in the characters. It didn't take too long. The only person I didn't like in the series was mainly because of the writing was the dad and not because he was a bad actor. I just didn't like him. I thought he was an absolute nut job maniac and what he did to his kids as a parent. I was like, wow, you know, but that's the whole point. Brilliant. But I just thought effects, acting, the, the characterizations of these people, the, the, the way... The world came alive. The way there was all these sort of subplots, there was all little offshoots, but there was people you genuinely cared about. And I haven't done this for a while, Dave, I'll be honest with you, because I've been on an hour in what I'm going to give this, but 
I've got to send it to Asgard. I've not done an Asgard for a long time. I just think it's so, so good. I don't think it's Daredevil Asgard, but it's just between Asgard and Atlantis, but it deserves it. It's so good. And if you haven't watched it, guys, please get onto it. Brilliant. What about yourself, Dave? Really, really good. So, again, I think just before I go into it, I will put my cards on the table and and just mention I I am a huge X-Men fan. And my favorite run is not so much in recent years, but that Chris Claremont time through the 80s. And then in later years, you know, going back and reading them and realizing actually when I was a kid, I was missing out on probably 90% of the subtext of what was actually going on here because he really explored those interrelationships and you've got these different personality types you know interacting with each other the way storm cyclops wolverine you know kitty pride colossus nightcrawler the way they'd all interact with each other so even though i'm watching on screen these characters and it you know these are all new characters to the screen it all feels very familiar because of that those X-Men parallels, I think. So I'm possibly a bit biased, but I guess we all inherently carry a little bit of bias, but I'm just putting mine right out on the table there. Now, I mentioned that on my first viewing, I was kind of distracted. I was looking at my phone, looking at Twitter, tweeting out stuff, and then occasionally looking up at the screen. So I wasn't watching it at all. If you're going to approach it like that, you might as well not bother because I, up until that point, I didn't really enjoy it. And that's because I wasn't paying attention to it. If you're watching this, you know, do pay attention to it and you'll just be sucked into this world. And so to within the space of these 10 episodes to get invested in these characters and really start to care about them, you know, like I said, my favorites were probably Klaus and, and also the boy. So number five, I think those were probably my favorites, but I did like the others as well. I really didn't like old Sir Reginald Hargreaves, but I don't think I am supposed to like him. Yeah. <laughs> um, the robot mum, so Grace, uh, you know, I think she got crushed, you know, unfortunately in that house, but hopefully I, I'm hoping they can find some way to bring her back. Um, again, will Pogo, they, they're, they've gone back in time now. So, you know, they're obviously going to change stuff. So who knows? We might see Pogo again in the future, but that'd be quite good as well. But like I say, in terms of, you know, learning about individual characters, understanding the dynamics and seeing them play off each other uh, and these interpersonal relationships that they have, I thought was really good. The Although Vanya's arc was very much like the Dark Phoenix, so you could say it's a, it's a bit of an imitation, I, I still enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, I'm really, really invested into that season two which I desperately hope, you know, we spent about five minutes talking about series that have been cancelled. So, you know, I'll be throwing myself out the window if, <laughs> if it does get cancelled now. But I'm pretty confident we are going to see a season two for this. I think for me, I agree, definitely better than Titans. For I think probably not quite as strong as Daredevil 3, but there's an X factor to this as well. So if I'm talking to people and I'm, recommending you know comic based movies or tv to someone who doesn't read comics 
I think I'd be more inclined to recommend Umbrella Academy than Daredevil Season 3 or even Daredevil Season 1 because there's, there's something still quite superhero-y about it. Whereas, you know, a lot of the superhero feats and the superpowers are, are downplayed a little bit in this. So I think it's a little bit more accessible than the Daredevil stuff. So for that, I'm going to send it to Asgard as well. I probably rate Daredevil Season 3 higher. But like I say, I think for accessibility, I think it gets an extra point there. Right. So thanks again, Dave. Another great episode. Before we go, I just want to get a couple of plugs in. If you want to get in contact with the show, we're on Twitter at Comics in Motion P or on Facebook at Comics in Motion Podcast. And if you want to contact the show, it's Comics in Motion Podcast at gmail.com. And get in contact with myself and Dave. And as Dave said at the start of the show, please go onto iTunes and give us a review or any of your podcast hosting sites. It just helps us grow, gets us out to a bigger audience and helps us produce good content for you listeners out there. So thank you very much, guys. Now, Dave, I have blagged you these last few weeks and I've made you lead us out with the end of the show. And we know it's a bit of a rivalry between <laughs> us. And unfortunately, that's not going to change again, Dave. So what are you going to lead us out with? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I was I was gonna mention before when I talked about the uh the scene introducing Dickon into Game of Thrones. I have to say that Bronn is one of my favourite characters from that. And uh one of my favorite lines I, I'm not gonna say what he says for the actual line, but it sounds something like there's no cure for being James Blunt. He says something like that. And that's just what I was thinking when you just threw me under the bus there. (laughs) I'll see you next week, Dave. (laughs) Bye. I give you the Umbrella Academy. Does anyone wish to speak? He was a monster. Is that my skirt? Oh, yeah, it is. It's very breezy on the bits. Let's see nothing's changed. I jumped forward and got stuck in the future. Get up, we're going. Where? Save the world. Oh, is that all? <laughs>